Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at City Church. Such a joy to um, be with you this morning and to be able to worship together um, and uh, just to uh, see many, uh, many friends I don't uh, recognize. So I look forward to having an opportunity, I hope, to meeting you um, at the end of the service. Uh, I'll be down front. Would love an opportunity to say hello to you if I can. Uh, we are uh, returning back to our study of the book of Hebrews, or in Hebrews, and we'll be in chapter 4 if you want to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Um, and as you do that, uh, three weeks ago, Pastor Kyle began uh, teaching through this sort of what I'd call this section of Hebrews. It really starts in chapter 3 and then continues into chapter 4, an argument that the author of Hebrews is making and uh, persuading us to remember the promises of God and to not forsake those promises that have been made to us or not to allow them to too quickly uh, sort of slip from our grasp or forget those promises. And if you miss the beginning of this, this will, that, that, that message will help you. And so just want to encourage you, if you missed that a few weeks back, um, go wherever you might find a podcast, um, Spotify, the Apple or the Android version, whatever that might be. And uh, you can listen to that message um, there. As you think about promises, if I made a promise to you, um, you would hold me to it. You would be right to hold me to my word. And um, if I promised to show up, you would expect me to show up. Or if I promised to pay you for something, you would expect me to pay up. If I promised to wear a clown suit, if the Cowboys didn't win the Super Bowl, you, you would rightly expect that. Um, by the way, that's clearly very hypothetical. Um, don't be so eager on that one. But here's what's strange. You would hold me to my word. You would, you would say, if I make a promise, that I should follow through on that promise. The reality is, though, as a sinful train wreck that I am, there is a very real possibility that I won't follow through and keep my word. I will try and I strive to be a man of my word, but I am sinful. It's possible for me to fail to uphold my promises, no matter how hard I might try. It's possible that you could break a promise or a commitment that you made to me or to a friend or family member. And this is how we know what I'm saying is true because we're all guilty of this. We all recognize the possibility that if we make a promise or if we give our word, if we make a statement that there lies in us the reality that we will fail, that we will not follow through, we have most likely often or at least periodically done that in our lives. Here's the amazing thing about our hearts, though, and the way that we are wired and where pride creeps up. God has also made many promises to us. We just finished the book of Joshua before we started in Hebrews much of it about God's promises to Israel and his fulfillment of those promises. God makes promises to give us eternal rest through Christ. And here's the reality. God cannot break his promises to us. It's not in his nature to be able to break his promises to us. He must and will always fulfill every promise that has been made. And yet, 
This is where the irony comes in. You will believe me when I make a promise to you. You will even hold me accountable for those promises if I don't uphold. But so many won't even consider the promises of God. Promises made by a man will listen to, will consider, will believe, we might even trust. And yet so many promises of God and people see and hear, know of the promises of God that are made and have no interest in hearing from them. And this is the heart of what the author of Hebrews is getting to here in chapters 3 and 4. He is telling us and reminding us that God has made a promise to us. He uses the story of the Israelites to sort of call back through history and say, this is where God made a promise then, and this is what it looked like when he made a promise and what people looked like when they didn't respond to that promise. And then he comes fast forward and uses that story and then even the psalm that David wrote about that story to illustrate the reality of our hearts. And it should cause us to pause. And as it says there in verse 1, it should cause us to have a bit of fear and trepidation as we look inwardly at our own hearts, the fickleness of our hearts, or as we will sing in just a little while, how prone our hearts are to wonder. See, David wrote Psalm 95 in this text beginning in chapter 3 there in verse 8 all the way through the end of chapter 4. The author of Hebrews is giving us an exposition of that psalm. And David wrote that psalm looking back on his people's story about listening to God or not listening to the promises of God. So my encouragement this morning, I would invite you very personally, very specifically to ask yourselves, how have you responded to the promises of God. And if there's any urgency that you hear in my voice that's sort of pressing in a bit this morning, I hope that you'll realize it's because there's great urgency in this text. There's urgency to listen and to pay attention. As we will read there at the end of verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the voice of God, through his word this morning, do not harden your hearts. So chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And when we read this first verse there, beginning in verse 1, 30, therefore it says, we know, all of us, we've been trained here in our church that we look backwards a little bit and we have to look backwards. And at the end of chapter 3, he explains where he is making this argument from, the story that he's talking about. In verse 16 of chapter 3, for who, for who, uh, can't speak this morning, that's a problem. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom he did, and to whom he, did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
So we get the heart of the matter here with those two sections. The end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, the author of Hebrews is saying and making this argument, explaining to us, is that there is this promise of entering into God's rest. God has made a promise that you have the capacity that through him we can enter into his rest. And we'll understand what that looks like in a minute. But we can enter into whatever this thing is that is God's rest. We have the opportunity to be welcomed into it. But... So often we don't, and the reason that we don't is because of unbelief. And we saw this example of this unbelief in the people of the Exodus. Moses leads them out of slavery in Egypt, and how quickly we can read in Numbers, how quickly they complain to Moses. That's why it says they bothered Moses all the time. They kept complaining to him, saying, take us back. It would have been better if you would have just left us there in slavery. And they did not get to enter into God's rest. They didn't enter into the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, we should be concerned. It should cause us a little bit of anxiety. We should pause and ask ourselves, have we responded to God's promises in the same way that the Israelites have responded to his promises? He said he was going to give them a land. He said he was going to give them rest. He invited them into that, and they rejected him. They didn't believe, and so they were therefore not allowed to enter into his rest. Through Christ, we now know that there is an eternal rest given to us, paid for by his blood. Will we also fail? And if we do fail to enter into it, it will be because of unbelief. And this is why he says in verse 1, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. I know that's not popular these days. Some people would claim that it's a little bit too strong for a preacher to say that we might should have some fear and trepidation as we approach God and as we consider our response to God. But this is what God's word says. Let us fear. There should be caution in our hearts. There should be this stirring that we would not believe. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9 says. This is a reference to God's holiness and his bigness, and we should approach the Lord with reverence. And as we do that, as we fear the Lord rightly, we will have a respect and an honor. But here, this fear and the fear that we are called to be concerned about or that should be said to be, be stirred up in us is a fear that results from unbelief. We should fear unbelief because it's very clear evidence that our hearts have deceived us. This is why it says that we should fear it. We should fear unbelief. It teaches us that we've been lied to. If you don't believe today, if you don't know Jesus as Pastor Matt spoke of and proclaimed the gospel to us. I want you to know that you're in the exactly right place, providentially ordained and brought here by God. Every circumstance of your life led you to be here this morning. The friend that invited you, 
the calendar that got cleared out of the way, the Facebook post that showed you the picture of this church that maybe we should consider and visit. Whatever it is, God in his providence said, I want you to be here. And so as a skeptic, as someone who doubts, Know that when I am speaking of fear, I'm not calling you to fear being here. I'm calling you to fear the Lord and reminding you that God has a very perfect purpose for you being here. And my plea is that you would know how greatly loved you are. And because of that, you might listen, not to me, but to Almighty God who speaks through his word. Listen. But if you don't believe, and if you're a skeptic, The first question that I would ask is why are you so skeptical about my belief and what I do profess to believe, and yet you won't consider that perhaps your heart has been deceived? We should be skeptical about our unbelief. We should wonder, it should cause us to question, why would we not believe? How often have you been so sure that something was true, that something was going to happen? I know this person is going to do this. I know this circumstance is going to work out this way, or I know this circumstance is not going to go that way. Whatever it is, and you just know that you know that you know in your heart, and then you find yourself to be wrong. Happens to me every fall, right before football season. More importantly than that, I've been sure that this friend would not betray me. I've been sure that this situation would work out perfectly. I've been sure that this bad thing would not happen to me. Surely God wouldn't do this. Surely this wouldn't happen. And how often i found I'm not sure and I'm wrong. And that sureness that I have in my heart That shows how quickly, how easily we can be deceived. And so, yes, it should cause us fear. Both fear of the holy God that we are rebuking and pushing back against, but also fear of our own hearts that we would say we wouldn't believe. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, just as the Israelites had. He then says, good news came to us just as to them. See, the good news came to the Israelites, he explains. They were taken out of bondage in Egypt and led into freedom and even promised that they would enter into this land where no enemy would come against them, where no one would be able to stand in their way, where God would protect them, and yes, they would enjoy perfect rest with the fellowship of God forever and ever. This is what was promised to them. This good news came to them. And yet... The message they heard did not benefit them. And why did the message not benefit them? Because they weren't united by faith. They didn't have enough faith to believe. Well, if good news came to the Israelites in Egypt, how much more has good news come to us? 
How much more has good news come to you this very morning? That good news is Jesus. Jesus himself has come to us. He did not stay distant, but he came to us to live a perfect, sinless life, to deal with all of the same temptations that you and I deal with, all of the frustration, all of the pain of this world. Jesus came and he dealt with that. He faced it. And he came to deliver us from that. This is the good news. This, again, is the good news that we've heard proclaimed multiple times this morning. The good news that God would rightly condemn us because of our sinfulness, and yet he sent his only son to us to welcome us as sons and daughters. This is what Paul exclaims in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, that's when God decided in his providential timing, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's you and that's me. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us so that we can cry out to God as Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son though an heir of God. Sons and daughters of God, because God came to us through Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news that has come to us. And we should fear. We should have trepidation. If we reject that good news, that, uh, that announcement of good news, that announcement that the war between man and God because of sin has been declared over, but it has been brought to peace through Christ, should cause us to have that fear. Why? Because that message of good news would have no benefit. Jesus came for our benefit, friends. He came so that we could believe and that we could have eternal and everlasting life, not just in the future, but that we could live in that freedom as sons and daughters of God right now. That we could live in that in this very moment. He came so that it would benefit us. What has the announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ benefited you? If you haven't believed, if you've rejected that good news, it is like the same news of the Israelites that was proclaimed to the Israelites. They weren't allowed to enter into God's rest because they didn't believe. We've talked a lot. He's referenced God's rest multiple times, quoting that Psalm 95. What is this rest? How do we achieve it? If this good news is going to benefit us so that we could enter into his rest, what does that look like? Well, this rest is a result of belief. You know, when something happens to our kids, or our friends, or anyone. We just, just had a circumstance just this weekend, and I was talking with a friend and thinking about their situation and their circumstance, and we're very apt to say, I'm apt to say this. What do we say? It's going to be okay. Now, the reality is, is that if you've told someone, or if you're told that it's going to be okay, that means you're not okay, by definition. If you're told it's going to be okay, that means that right now you're not okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how things work. 
But we're so often, we're prone to say, we want to say, no, it's going to be okay. You're injured. My little boys, when they were younger, especially one of them, he'd be wailing and crying. <laughs> I pick him up and hold him close. I say, it's going to be okay. And the hyperventilating starts to appease a little bit, so I just to slow down. We know that in the moment when we say that, it's not okay. But we also want to say, we're apt to say it's going to be okay, because if they know it's going to be okay, they'll be all right. And when we say this, don't we want them to believe us? Does anyone say it's going to be okay, and we're kind of like, well, I mean, if you, if you, if you think it is, or if you'd like to believe. No, we want them to believe us when we say that. And this is because that that belief that it's going to be okay lightens the sting of the moment, lessens it. Here's the reality. Here's the good news again. It's going to be okay. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. And perhaps that thing that you are dealing with, whatever it might be, has caused you to have some skepticism about whether God is at all involved in your life, cares about you, wants to do anything about it. But what Jesus has done for us through the cross proves to us, it tells us it's going to be okay. One day there will be no more tears. One day there will be no more... <laughs> Whatever that hyperventilating pain and suffering that we're walking in, it will all stop. There will be no more of it because it's going to be okay. And the reason it's going to be okay is because of what Jesus has done. This is good news. And guess what happens? When we believe that it's going to be okay, rest comes for our weary souls. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? I don't mean physically. You might be that. That'll pass. Just take a nap today. But if you're tired, if you're weary deeply in your soul, believe in the good news that has been proclaimed to you this very morning and find rest for your soul. You will rest if you would believe. So we know. This message that the author of Hebrews is giving to us, is bringing to the original hearers and also to us today, is that if we would believe, we would enter that rest. That's what it says in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. And then he contrasts that, picking back up to those who did not benefit from the message. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Unbelief means that we won't enter the rest of God. And so what is this rest? What does it mean for us to be people who are able to rest, who enter in through belief in rest? Well, he describes it here as he continues. He describes it or explains it, defines it as this rest is God's rest. Look at verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. 
Jump down to verse 8 for me. For if Joshua, this is the Israelites being led into the promised land, the book that we just studied. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is what he's saying. When we are welcomed into God's rest through our belief in what Christ has done, it is a rest like God is resting. On the seventh day, we know, what did God do? He rested. He created for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And here's the amazing thing, friends. He hasn't stopped resting since. God is at rest today, and we are invited into that rest. It's a Sabbath rest. This is, by the way, I know that some of us feel like this is some oppressive command by God. How dare God call us to rest? But he gave us the Sabbath, one day of the week, that we are called to rest from our labors, from resting from working, so that we might rest in God. And we are, he just says do that for one day a week so that we might remember the rest of God. We might experience that rest. We might be able to walk in that. Here's the beautiful thing. The rest that we experience when we Sabbath is the rest that we will enjoy for all of eternity. And what God has done through Christ is he's inviting us into that type of Sabbath rest right now. What is Sabbath rest? It means we don't have to labor any longer. See, when I say that we must believe and that that belief allows us to enter the rest, that is an act of we get to rest from work. We don't have to try and figure our way out to to God. We don't have to work ourselves towards God. No, we believe and then we rest and we enjoy the Sabbath rest of God. Just as a quick aside, so often I know I do this. I expect you do too. We long for the Lord to come. The darkness that we've walked and experienced and witnessed over the last few weeks, maybe months, even years, has probably caused us to ask for that, to pray that more and more and more every day. Lord, come quickly, return. Well, just so you know, when Jesus comes back, we're getting Sabbath rest forever. We might want to start practicing it right now and enjoying that right now. Sabbath rest. Rest for our souls. So he says, Joshua... Couldn't give them rest. That's why David, writing about this story of Joshua later in history and in time, would say that there's still a problem because there are still those who don't believe. This rest that we get to enter into, it wasn't just entering a piece of property, entering the land. No, this rest is entering into the promise of Christ. It's entering into the rest that only comes when we believe it's going to be okay. When we believe, Revelation chapter 21, that God will wipe away every tear one day. And this is why, as he closes out this section, he says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And how? 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Why does he turn to the word of God as he speaks about this rest and he talks about us striving to enter that rest? What he tells us is is that it's the word of God that pierces our hearts. It's the word of God sharper than any two-edged sword that can discern for us and help us to discern what our hearts have believed. Have we believed? Do we believe? If we have believed, then we might enter rest. The Word of God, by the way, is what welcomes us into that rest. It's through belief in the Word of God. The Word of God calls us to believe. And the word of God is what reveals our unbelief. As we hear this word, there's questions, there's doubts, there's perhaps those that would say, I don't know if that's true. All of that is through looking at the word of God. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to let the word of God have its way with you. Let the word of God do what it will in your heart. There's probably more than this, but I'd summarize us in three groups of people here this morning. If you hear this message and you say to yourself, yes, Lord, I believe and I want more of your rest. I believe in the good news that has been proclaimed to me. Then Jesus says, enter my rest. And I invite you to worship him this morning for the grace that you have received. Because it is only by God's grace that any of us believe. That is not something that we have done on our own accord. But it's his grace to you that you have believed. And if you have believed and you claim to believe and you've entered into that rest, then there should be evidence of that restfulness in everything that we do. All of our life is an act of worship for the grace of God that we have received. And so, if you hear this and the word of God affirms, yes, you have believed, then rest in Jesus and worship him with your whole life. If you hear this message and perhaps there is some conviction, you feel the sharpness there of God's word a little bit, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, getting into the joys, getting into the depth of your life, if it's piercing you, then allow the word of God right now in this very moment to lead you to repentance. Just give that over to Jesus. Confess that to Jesus. Repent and receive his grace. Here's what I promise you will happen. You will find rest and your heart will turn to worship. Finally, if you hear this message and again you're skeptical you're like I'm not so sure you know what you're talking about I don't maybe God's word does allow those questions and those doubts be bold enough 
Be strong enough even in your skepticism to ask God as we close this time together. Ask the God that you're not even sure you believe in to help you, to answer you. Here's my promise. And this one is true because it's from God's word. Not because I said it. If you'll ask God to grant you wisdom, to show himself to you, I'm confident that he will. He will speak. So if you're a skeptic this morning, allow the word of God to stir up whatever you're feeling. My guess is that's from the Holy Spirit of God saying, why don't you have a conversation with me? So perhaps a lot of people might stand and sing. Some people might not. Just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for help. I promise he will answer. Holy Spirit, I pray you would have your way. Allow your word to do what only it can do, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.